Well, good evening and happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Thanksgiving Eve pie service. And that's right, it's a pie service, so there's going to be pie afterward. And before I forget, because I'll probably forget at the end, there are going to be, there's at least one gluten-free pie behind the counter. You just have to ask the people at the counter when we get to that point uh, of eating pie. So I just want to make that known. Uh, tonight we will be in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There should be Bibles in the seats just in front of you at the bottom. And the passage for this evening is on page 911. So again, it's Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. And here's what it says. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful that we get to gather here tonight and sing your word and to hear it preached and to have fellowship and pray together because we need you. Going into Thanksgiving, going into this holiday season, we need you. We need your power. We need your grace. We need your strength to be about your work and to do it bearing fruit for your glory. So we come here tonight in prayer asking that you would show up through the preaching of your word and you would fuel our hearts to go forward tonight and tomorrow and all through the holiday season proclaiming the gospel and loving one another and shining for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I have to begin. I have a confession to make. I've been listening to Christmas music for the past two weeks. <laughs> uh, apparently there's this unwritten rule that you can't say the word Christmas and you're not allowed to listen to Christmas music until Black Friday. Somehow the department store is to get this special buy on that and they get to start playing it as soon as like Halloween time or fall starts. But I was not able to get away with it because my kids busted me and the high school youth group busted me. And the sad thing for my kids is that they're stuck riding with me when I take them to school, so they have to listen to it. And I like to sing extra, just saucing it up for them. I'm not a good singer, but it's fun. But my point is that I'm excited for this time of year. It's a great time of the year. I'm excited tomorrow to take time and set aside special time just to give thanks as a family to God for his many blessings. As Drew said, the greatest of which is Christ and his work on our behalf to bring us into fellowship with God. And so tomorrow we get to sit and reflect on all the blessings we have and give thanks to God. And I'm also thankful that we get to gather with our families and our friends and we get to do that uh, Thanksgiving and the coming holiday season. I also want to be realistic in acknowledging some of the difficulties that come this time of year. It seems that loneliness peaks this time of year. Uh, difficult family relationships seem to flare up this time of year. And we're reminded that people we love don't know the joy of Christ. And of course, this time of year, the temptations, there's temptation all around us in the culture. Consumerism is everywhere, and everything we see is either a billboard or a commercial on TV telling us we need something in order to be happy, and things are really flashy and shiny, and they look good. And sometimes we get sucked into those things, and we think, I need that to be happy. 
but, but that's not true. And so we also have to be prepared to battle temptation and sin. I would say even more so this time of year in the busyness, the craziness, and the consumerism. But one of the greatest things about gathering here on Thanksgiving Eve is that we're reminded of where our joy and our thanksgiving and our everything comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ. And tonight, through singing and praying and hearing God's word, we get to kick off this holiday season in worship. And my aim for tonight's brief devotional, because I know you're hungry for pie, it's got to be brief, right? My aim tonight is that we would be fueled by God's word and singing to worship through the day tomorrow, all of Thanksgiving, that we would be worshiping and delighting in God. And so getting to the passage a little bit tonight, it's Acts chapter 2. I just want to give a brief little context of the passage. If you know anything about the book of Acts, Jesus has already been crucified. He's risen and he's appeared to his disciples and he's instructed them to go to Jerusalem and wait because the helper would be coming to help them. And as they wait, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them to proclaim the gospel boldly. And as they do, thousands profess Christ and they come to Christ. They're joined to their, this church's numbers. They're baptized and they begin to gather around God's word, prayer, and the fellowship of the saints. And so tonight's passage gives us some insight into what the daily lives of these believers in Jerusalem look like. And I just, while the New Testament church by no means was it perfect, I think a lot of times we like to look back and say, well, this is, this is what they did. They were perfect, but they weren't. They were sinners like you and I gathered together around God's word by the power of the gospel in the spirit of God to, to be together. But they were imperfect just like we are. But we can learn some great things by their example in this passage. And I would say that this passage we read tonight is a great example worthy of imitating as a church. The first observation I want to make regarding this church is how they received their food. It says in the second half of verse 46 that they received it with glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. Now, you get to the glad part, and that's that's pretty simple. Tomorrow I will effortlessly consume pumpkin pie and pecan pie and turkey and cranberries gladly. I will do it with gladness and I will rejoice before God and I will thank him. And it, it, is, it just comes natural to praise God enjoying such good food. But what does it mean to receive our food with generous hearts? Doesn't that seem peculiar? When I think about eating, I mean, that's a self-serving act. I take food and I shove it in my mouth. It's, it's all about me. So how could we possibly do that in a generous manner? Does it mean we take an extra big piece of pie or turkey? It's a generous portion? No, I don't think so. The point here is that these Christians were so fixed. They had their eyes fixed on Christ. They were so focused on him that when they were together, humility came naturally. They were so changed by what Christ had done for them that they naturally wanted to serve one another. And they did. And when they ate, they had a greater concern for what the others had than what they had. That's what it looked like. That's what it looks like to, to receive your food in a generous manner. And if you go back in this passage, you can see that they were even willing to go and sell properties and all different stuff so that they could take some of their money and give it to others in the church who had need so that they could eat. It's a beautiful picture 
of what the church should look like. But these people, what I want to, what I want to be clear here is that these people were changed. They went from being in darkness and walking in darkness to being brought into the light of God by his word and by the gospel. These people had heard the good news about Jesus' death for sinners, and it says that they were cut to the heart upon hearing it. And their response was that they responded with a broken and contrite heart, and they said, what shall we do? They had heard that they were sinners, that they had turned against the God who created them for his glory and who had loved them, and they heard that though this God could come and judge them any time and be glorious and just for all eternity, instead he came in love and he made peace by the blood of a cross. That Jesus went to the cross taking our sins upon himself and died for us to bring us back to God and to demonstrate on the cross how glorious God's love and grace is towards sinners. They had encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were changed. They were Christians. And that's our story too. We have been changed by Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, that is our story. That is our life. And now that we are in Christ, we want to worship, delight in, and serve Christ in all things. And one thing I want to point out is that their reliance on Christ didn't just end at the point of salvation, like, yippee, I got to get out of hell free card, and now I'm just going to go back and live my life. No, it didn't at all. They continued to rely on Christ in everything they did, and it was reflected in their generosity toward one another. Their lives exemplify Paul's teaching to the Colossians when he instructs them. He says, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. Think about when you received Christ, how broken you were about your sin, and yet how amazed you were that God would love you that much that he would send his son to spill his blood so that you could be brought into the family of God. Think about how needy you were and how desperate for mercy you were, and yet how thankful you were. And you wouldn't depend on anything else. You knew that Christ alone was your only hope at all. And Paul says, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. And what I see here in this church in Jerusalem is that they are walking in Christ, relying on him. And it's clear because they're bearing fruit. Because when we walk in our flesh, we don't bear fruit. It becomes about us and we don't serve one another. But when we're walking in Christ and we're worshiping Christ, we bear fruit and we serve one another because we see God as our prize and we want to do what he wants us to do. So a question tonight is, will you be humbly and dependently walking with Christ and bearing fruit this Thanksgiving? I know that it's hard. Some of you are going to be going into family settings. Some of you are going to be going into family settings where it's all Christians and it's going to come natural to worship together and it's going to be great. There will still be sin present that you have to work through, so that's going to make it hard. But a lot of us are going into family settings where, settings where there aren't many Christians and it's, and it's hard. We know that our flesh is weak and we're prone to wander at any moment. And if we're honest, we're pretty quick to turn and place our hope in created things. And tomorrow some of us will be tempted with what I'll call tonight holiday idolatry. Some of us are going to be tempted to make an idol out of the Thanksgiving feast itself. 
when the food doesn't turn out how you wanted. You might not let on and actually say you're crabby, but everyone's going to know that you're crabby in your attitude when you're just, eh, whatever, give short answers. My stuffy and I waited for all year, it's all blackened, and it ruins your Thanksgiving. Or how about when the unruly nephew eats all the appetizers that you bought, mind you, and the whole rest of the night, that's all you can think about, and you bring him his plate, and you're just like, here you go, here's your dinner, right? And we might respond, we might be tempted to respond in anger or punishing them by being, giving them the silent treatment or many different things, but food is good. It's a gift of God. As Drew said, we want to give thanks for our food. Food is good, but it's not a good God. It will let you down every time. And it will leave you feeling empty and broken, discontent, and with broken relationships for food. It's not that valuable. We don't want to worship our food on Thanksgiving. But as Christians, we are not there for the food, but to represent Christ. And some of you are going places to places and gatherings with people that you just, if you're honest, you really struggle to be around them. You know that rude comments will likely be made. Things that you just totally disagree with or would say are totally wrong are going to be said. You disagree totally politically in various things. These people are going to disappoint you. When this happens, you'll be tempted to idolize their responses and the responses that you want from them. And if they don't give you those certain responses, well, they better watch out, right? And, and, and when that happens, you're no longer, Christ is no longer on the throne and you're concerned with worshiping him when he says, love your enemies, right? It's more like, no, I'll tell you a thing or two. And next thing you know, you're yelling, you're heated, and you could potentially wreck the Thanksgiving meal. And that's not how we serve Christ. And so I, what I want you to see tonight is that as we enter the Thanksgiving season, chances are there's going to be people that are hard to be with and you're going to be tempted to sin. But we are people that ought to receive our food and our time with family with glad and generous hearts. So how do we do that? The answer to that question can be found in our second observation of this text, which is this. The Jerusalem church made a practice of worshiping God. Their, their practice was to worship God regularly. It says they, they gathered together and they worshiped corporately. And it said that when they were in their homes, they were worshiping God together. And so I want to tell you this. If, you're, if you have fear of entering another holiday season of maybe getting crabby and not representing Christ very well, the key to fighting selfishness and idolatry and sin is to worship one who is far greater. The key is to stand in awe of Jesus Christ and to worship him and to, to put the gospel before your eyes and in your mind and in your heart and to soak it in tonight and tomorrow as you're getting ready to be in prayer, to be listening to worship music and to be reading his word so that you are fueled and your eyes are fixed on Christ so that food looks like nothing. And the responses you want from your family and you know, you know you're not going to get it, it doesn't mean anything because you have Christ and he is enough and you're happy to delight in him and to worship him. God's goal in revealing himself to us is that we live forever to the praise of his glorious grace. The goal of the gospel is to create a people who enjoy and glorify God, a people that will worship him forever. And this isn't something that we say, oh, well, one day it'll be like that when we enter glory with our Savior. No, it starts today. It starts every day. It starts tomorrow 
on Thanksgiving Day when we're meeting with those people that sometimes can be difficult to be with. And so tomorrow, you will be worshiping something. You will. Because whatever captures your desires and whatever you regard the most, that's what you're worshiping. That's what worship is. It's to regard something highly. And so tomorrow, you will regard something highly. Tonight, I encourage you to examine your hearts for holiday idols that creep in and steal the worship that belongs to God alone. He alone is God, and he will not share his glory with another. And I invite you tonight, if you think of some of these and you see patterns in your life that you fall back into when you get around family, I invite you to repent of those things and to worship God instead of these other man-made things, instead of these people and responses from people. I encourage you to fix your eyes on Christ and the gospel. And so worship Christ as you receive your food. And as you worship Christ in this way, you will receive your food with gladness and generosity. Delight in Christ as you make your preparations and you gather with family. And in doing so, you'll find the desire and strength to look to the interests of others for Christ and not just your own interests. And so tonight's service, again, it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing because this is a great way to kick off what we should do tomorrow, which is worship our way through the day. Tonight we get to gather and sing and hear the word and be fueled to go and do it even more tomorrow. The third and final observation from the text is that God worked through glad, generous, praise-filled Christians to bring people to himself. Listen to that again. God worked through glad, generous, praise-filled Christians to bring people to himself. It says in verse 47 that the church had favor with all the people and that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sometimes it feels like we have no favor at all with some of the people that we might be gathering with. And even if that's the case, I want you to just consider 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 and what it says in preparation for... for, for no, some of you know you're going to go in tomorrow and if you say anything about Jesus, it's going to get shut down and it's not going to go well. Here's what I want you to think about if you, have, if you have that coming tomorrow. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so even if some hate the gospel and they hate you for your belief in the gospel, the way you conduct yourself should compel them to wonder if the gospel is true, if it's real. God's glory shines through joy-filled, fruitful lives of Christians like you and I. And so I encourage you, even if you know that's going to be the response, I encourage you to, to just rejoice in Christ and to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit before them. But we also know that you can find atheists and Muslims and Buddhists that are seeking to live moral lives that can look good in front of their families. And so it's not through our conduct that people are saved, but it's through the proclamation of the gospel alone. And if you think about this, one of the natural outflows of a worshipful heart, if you're, if you're really delighting in and regarding Christ as first and foremost in your life, one of the natural outflows of that is to speak about them. I know my kids, if they ever go to something really fun like a water park, 
You cannot make them be quiet for the next week because everyone you see, they're talking, you should see this slide. It's amazing. It's huge. It's straight down, Grandma. Uncle this. Everyone they talk to, it's great. And so one of the natural outflows of our hearts that are delighting in Christ, that have encountered and experienced Christ, is at least a desire in your heart to speak about Jesus. The Jerusalem church saw people coming to Christ daily. Daily, people were coming to Christ because they had a strong desire to spread a passion for the glory of God. They proclaimed the gospel regularly. And I'll guarantee they shared it at family gatherings. The overwhelming majority of people here tonight are going to be gathering with non-Christians tomorrow. I trust that God is going to use our gospel proclamation and the lives that we live worshiping Christ and bearing fruit to bring people to Christ. Think about this. Everyone in this room over the years is going to go out to family gatherings every single year. And if we faithfully bear fruit, worshiping Christ, and faithfully open our mouths to proclaim the gospel, God is going to save people. And so maybe over the years you've gotten cynical and you've thought, nope, Uncle so-and-so, there's no hope for him. I gave up talking to him a long time ago about the gospel. Don't. Don't give up. Aren't you so glad that nobody gave up on you and said, no, this person's hopeless. And here you are today, and maybe you heard the gospel 100,000 times, maybe not that many, 100. And here you are today, you sit as a Christian because one time when someone shared, it maybe even rubbed you the wrong way and annoyed you, and maybe it wrecked your Thanksgiving dinner, and yet here you sit, a worshiper of Christ, because someone opened their mouths, they, they crossed the pain line to share the gospel with you, and you were saved. And I trust that, representative of everyone here, there are going to be people who are going to get saved as we go out and proclaim the gospel over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, over New Year's Eve parties, and whatever family gatherings you end up to throughout the years. People are going to come to Christ if we faithfully proclaim the gospel. One thing I would encourage, because what I find is that when we go back to our families, it's easy to fall back into whatever we used to be with them. And it's, 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 it's like we're different when we're Christians. We go back to the family. It's like, oh, this is what I used to be. I kind of settle into that role. If that's you, and maybe you've never opened your mouth to share the gospel with your family, I would encourage you tonight in fellowship as we have pie, I would encourage you to approach someone and say, you know what? I trust you, and I know you love me, and you want to see Christ formed in me. I want to share something with you. I really struggle to share the gospel. I love my family very much, but I want to love Jesus more. And I want to share the gospel with them. Would you pray for me that I would be emboldened like the apostles in Acts chapter 2 who proclaimed the gospel boldly? Will you pray with me and will you follow up with me and see how it's going in sharing Christ with my family? I would encourage you to do that tonight because that's one step in the right direction of, of, of stepping out and preparing to share the gospel. And I would encourage you to be in prayer about that and make it your goal this year to share the gospel with someone at Thanksgiving. So tonight as you sing, tonight, uh, tomorrow as you prepare, as you travel, as you gather with friends and family, be fueled by worship of Christ to receive your food and your families with generous hearts and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray that God would work mightily through us this Thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we have an endless list of things to be thankful for. Lord, I thank you for my family. I thank you for this church family. 
I thank you for the work you've done in our hearts, that you've saved us and brought us to yourself. Lord, I thank you that the, for the work you are going to do in the future of this church as we go out and we proclaim the gospel. I thank you for the people that are going to come to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, help us. We believe your gospel is the power of God for salvation. Help us to believe it more so we'd open our mouths and we'd proclaim it. Lord, embolden us to do that through your spirit. Help us to clearly proclaim the gospel. Lord, again, we thank you for Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, his work on our behalf, for bringing us back to yourself through him. Lord, empower us to live for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.